live. Hello everyone and welcome back once again to the latest episode of the INC podcast, officially declared easier to digest than disinfectant. My name is Carl oh, Birbage yeah. and hidden somewhere <laughs> on the internet is my co-host today, Mr. Claire Richardson. Unfortunately, Claire, we won't be seeing you for today's episode. Uh, your camera finally packed in. Oh yeah, I was using a old laptop and that finally hit the bed. I had a pretty jerry-rigged uh, <laughs> setup there. I had like a MacBook setup next to a computer. So definitely next time, probably around the... Maybe if we do a preview show for the upcoming car, that'll probably be... Definitely have a webcam around there. Well, the signs are looking good. USC 249, there's been a lot of stories mm -hmm. around that over the past couple of days. We'll be talking about that in a lot more detail, as well as some of the other stories which have been making the news in the world of mixed martial arts over the past seven days. If it does make you feel better, though, uh, you're not the only person who's been affected by technical issues. Um, obviously, we're seeing a lot of companies trying to embrace esports and sort of um, interactivity when it comes to trying to get sports to the masses. And one of the things we've had in this country is there was uh, the Professional Darts Corporation. I know darts is the big thing in Britain, but um, I'll continue with this. And one of the ideas they had was they would have professional darts players playing the game in their home horns, and they would have like a little bit of mini tournament. And Gary Anderson, who was like one of the top British players, he had to pull out of the competition because his Wi-Fi wasn't good enough. <laughs> all right that really that's pretty sad when a professional player i guess it's darts you don't really need the best internet for that but that's pretty it's pretty embarrassing <laughs> i think i saw um f1 or somebody they were doing all their uh racing and i racing the video game it's like a pretty uh insane racing game on the pc it got like over like 200 cars and stuff so pretty good idea really adopt it and just picking the best best closest game you could get to the real experience really well i know that nascar uh they're quite in sync with the iRacing scene and they've got a lot yeah, of that's nascar they've got a lot of professional drivers who compete in those races and one driver mm. actually ended up losing his job because of comments he was <laughs> making on the uh, iRacing Oh yeah, I saw that. He's treating it like it was, uh, he's playing uh, like a Call of Duty with his buddies. <laughs> he's dropping a little bit of uh, heat. <laughs> Hopefully yeah, we pretty... won't be doing the same thing on this show. Yeah, I don't know. it's pretty dumb on his part really. We're not playing a game or anything. <laughs> what, we're going Trust to, me. what we're going to be doing though is we're going to be talking about what's been happening in the world of MMA over the past seven mm -hmm. days. We did have ourselves a couple of plans for discussion points which could potentially bring up and what order we'd be discussing them and those were almost immediately shunted to one side when we got the news I believe on Friday evening that UFC 249 Dana White had been adamant that this event would be taking place at some point there was some talks over whether or not it was going to be 249 or UFC 250 uh, a lot of a lot of issues surrounding that but we did get the news on Friday, and it's going to be our first discussion topic of the day. It's actually a good thing you don't have the camera, because I've got all the notes in front of me right now. So mm -hmm. you can see those on the right-hand side of the screen. USC 249 is going ahead. It's going to be May 9th, and we've actually got ourselves a venue. The Vice Star Veteran Memorial Arena, Jacksonville, Florida. May 9th, as mentioned, two title fights on the card, and an absolutely stacked undercard, stretching all the way to the fight past prelims. Yeah, and you got Greg Hardy stuck right on the main guard right there. 
do you want to do you want to touch on that first? You want to talk about just the main card, just walk through the fights, really? We'll go through the uh, fight card that we do have here. We'll start off in the main event. Tony Ferguson will take mm -hmm. on Justin Gagey. That's going to be for the interim lightweight title. Our core main, Henry Cejudo, will take on the returning Dominic Cruz. Francis Ngannou and Jarzino Roisenstrike, Jeremy Stevens and Calvin Cater. And just mentioned there, Greg Hardy will be making his pay-per-view debut against Jorgen De Castro. The prelim card, we got ourselves a few fights which hadn't been rumoured, some which has sort of been a bit taken by mm. surprise. Donald Cerrone will headline the prelims up against Anthony Pettis, Alexi Olenek and Fabrizio Verdun. That was originally supposed to be on the Brazil card, uh, UFC 250. Carla Esparza and Michelle Watterson, Uriah Hall versus Jacare. And down to the early prelims, it's Vincent Luque versus Nico Price, Bryce Mitchell and Charles Rosa, and Ryan Spann and Sam Alvey will be kicking off the card itself. I have to say, given the restrictions, they put together what could be a hell of a card. Mm-hmm. It's quite strange. You don't really see like any actual like early prelims. Like when you look at it, like every fight really has something going for it. You don't really have like that, you know, uh, Batch Cohea versus, um, you know, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, you don't have a fight like that, really, starting off the card. Everything's really got something to it. It seems like they really didn't really approach any any of those type of fighters. It seems like they just approached sort of ranked fighters as fighters sort of coming up. Well, I don't know about Sam Alvey coming up, but <laughs> you got Bryce Mitchell on the early prelims, and you got Nico Price and Vicente Luque, too, headlining the uh, early prelims. So... They're definitely trying to make a statement with this card. A lot of the fights which have been booked are fights which have been rumoured for the past few months. Mm -hmm. I know that Ngannou and Voice and Strike has been, was supposed to be taking place, I think, late March. So that's a fight mm -hmm. that they've been gagging for for a long time. I know that both wanted it to be an interim heavyweight bout, which I wouldn't have been opposed to, to be honest, considering there's a lot of issues surrounding whether Stipe versus DC is going to be going ahead and at what time. Yeah, it would have been good to sort of see that fight with a little bit more insurance other than just saying, you know, this probably a title eliminator bout. It would have been nice for that little insurance, but we all know, like, if Francis gets a huge knockout here, there's <laughs> no way you can deny him. And I would like to see, because I, I don't think that we're going to see DC versus Francis. I think DC would mm. rather retire than have to face that. But I do yes. think, based on what we've seen from Francis in his past couple of fights, I think he would have a much better chance against Stipe than he did first time round. I think mm -hmm. I, you would definitely see a closer bout. I think the moment caught Francis in that first fight. I think he went into that thinking, I can just walk in there and just knock this guy's head off. And Stipe's head movement and his striking defense was such that Francis was flummoxed by it. And then, of course, mm -hmm. Stipe spammed the takedowns, and it was one-sided after the first round. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good point. He wasn't really, I believe, a couple of weeks before the fight happened, or maybe even a week before. No, it must have been a couple of weeks before around the press conference. When they had that press conference, he said that he's pretty much done his camp and gone. He said that he's done his camp in, in Paris. Like, he wasn't really training at a proper gym. So he's definitely going to have a... Probably a clear head in this fight. He's definitely going to have a probably um, probably a better mindset in this fight. I 
don't see it being as lopsided as it was before. But that first round was definitely competitive. And it's a much... Could see maybe a little bit of the first round extended it, maybe into the... Probably around... I could see him going until maybe around the third round if he kept that up and he wasn't, like, crazy with it. If he picked his shots and he wasn't insane with all his spamming of his combos and everything, just forcing the knockout. You, I could see a patient and Ganu going a little bit with Stipe. That's one of your videos, isn't it? Uh, yeah, Humboldt and Ganu. So, yeah, we'll have to see if Humboldt and Ganu can uh, beat Iron Eye Stipe. So, <laughs> and it's <laughs> we'll much leaner, Francis, as well. That's one of the big mm -hmm. things that came out of that fight. Compare how bulky, muscular he was going into the Stipe fight. And then look at him now. Mm -hmm. Definitely looks like he's trying to not really bulk up and get too much power. It looks like he doesn't want to gas him out that much. I have to say, the heavyweight fight I'm more intrigued by on that card is Vadum vs. Lenik. I mean, I'm one of those mm -hmm. guys who loves to see like grappling, so we could potentially have ourselves a great jiu-jitsu battle here between two wily veterans. It's either going to be that, or it's going to be like a proper... like. A proper wild brawl, sort of like a Jacobi versus Weidman type. Yeah, normally when you get two submission guys, most of the time, well, I don't want to say most of the time, if sometimes you'll see them stall each other out on the ground and you'll just see them just throw down really with punches. Like Askren versus Maya was pretty much that for <laughs> first round. When the, when was the stoppage? Was that a little Third bit round. into the second? Third round. First round, okay. Well, a little bit into the first round, there was a uh, proper round. slobber round, knocker. I, I should say. Yeah, I, do, I don't remember it being that early. Don't have to shit on Askren that much, man. No. <laughs> but yeah, you, you might see that sometimes. If two submission guys go up against each other, you'll see them stall each other out. They'll just go to war a little bit. So we might see that a little bit, but I, I don't know. It's been a while since we've seen Verdum. I can't remember the last time he's really went to the ground. Like Most of the time, he, uh, like I'm thinking of the Volkov fight. I think, he could, Didn't really... I think he controlled Volkov on the ground for a good portion of that fight. He wasn't able to do anything of note. Volkov's uh, mm -hmm. ground defense was actually quite good. But the Doom did tire quite significantly in that fight. Volkov started okay. to get back into the match around about the third round. And you could see by the end that the Doom was gas and he just sort of went for that last final flurry, just hoping that he could get something done. Because I think deep down he knew that was it for him. He wasn't going to win the fight if it continued the way it did. So he just, just chucked all of it into the, the frying pan and just thought, I've just got to give the score, try and knock him out. Mm -hmm. And that's when Volkov caught him. Mm -hmm. And that was when Volkov was coming on the rise. He had some steam coming on behind him. So, yeah, it was, that was a rough matchup for their team. That was the London card. I remember when Volkov yeah. knocked him out, I just thought, whoa. Because I think it was a yeah, few... Yeah, that was huge. It was a few weeks after... Uh, Francis had knocked out Arlovsky and I just thought we're seeing a real coming of age at heavyweight now we're seeing a new guard come mm -hmm. through because it always used to, be, yeah. used to be like the Doom, JDS and Kane that's all like top three of the, the division which just didn't look as if it was ever going to move and then all of a sudden all three were out the picture and we had like a new guard shining through and then obviously Stipe as well and mm-hmm Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're starting to see some new blood, sort of similar to the light heavyweight division. We're seeing some new guys coming in, and some veterans coming in as well, like Anthony, Anthony Smith in light heavyweight. Speaking of Anthony through. Smith, um, one of the other 
notable things from that announcement that the UFC made was that not only would we be having an event on the 9th of May, we've also got mm. ones planned for the 13th and the 16th. Now, details about these events are quite sparse. What we do know, though, is that Anthony Smith and Glover Toshiba, that was supposed to be the Nebraska headliner, that's going to be headlining one of the events, and the other's going to be Alistair Overing defending against Walt Harris. Both of those will be taking place in Jacksonville as well. Mm-hmm. Both ex- intriguing matchups, but I, I don't believe they released any other fights on any of those cards or not released any info on them yet. But, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how they fill those cards, really. I, I don't know what they're going to do. If they're going to do the same scenario, they're going to cherry-pick other fights from cards that didn't really happen. But, yeah, we'll have to see. Those are both intriguing matchups. Can't wait to see them. That's going, to be insane. The, that's going to be the key thing for me because you're going to need to get people who are either planned to fight over the past three or four weeks or mm-hmm. you're going to have to get people who are totally 100% game and will just be willing to fight anyone at any time. Mm-hmm. We'll probably get a, a mixture of that. <laughs> I'm just trying to look and see if we've got ourselves any fights which are on there. Actually, ironically, we talked about Sajara Eubanks. She's been booked against Sarah Morris. So that's going to be, I believe, on the Smith versus Glover card. Oh, wow. Okay. I believe... Starts to the um, matchup. Starts to the matchup. <laughs> I believe Mackenzie Dern, she's fighting somebody on one of those cards. It might be the uh, the Harris card. Or maybe it's... Maybe it's a later card. I don't know. I think it's, I, I saw that she has a fight set up. I think it's Hannah Cyphers. I'm tempted to say it's Hannah Cyphers that she's going to be fighting, which I don't have an issue with that because Cyphers is so gay. I mean, she's mm-hmm. not the best fighter in the strawweight division, but she's very plucky. I thought that she, some of her fights, especially the Pollyanna Viana fight, I thought she looked good in that one. Um, and her versus Dern, I think that could be an intriguing matchup. Mackenzie needs to bounce back after the, the loss against Amanda Hebas. Mm-hmm. That was her first loss, wasn't it? That being said, though, the way Hebas has been performing, that's a, mm-hmm. that's a loss which is, from Mackenzie's case, aged quite well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Hebas is on the rise. Yeah, that's on the 23rd, so that's on a completely different card, I believe. <laughs> so we just talked about it for no reason. Yeah, <laughs> we don't even know what's the main event of that. <laughs> Might not even happen. Another thing that came out of this announcement is we've all heard these rumours about Fight Island. And further plans have been announced for this one. From all reports, uh, Fight Island will be operational by June. Still don't know where it's going to be. And the actual arena itself, the actual octagon, will be on the beach itself. So we're not going to have like a, a tropical... Um, Tiki Beach Hut it's actually going to be on the beach itself whether anybody else is going to be on there we have no idea this, this, really? it's this going to be story on the beach? of Fight Island is one of the most surreal things I have ever heard when it comes to mixed martial arts well when somebody says Fight Island I think of sort of like Mortal Kombat or those videos where have you ever seen like those African fighting championship videos where they're like fighting in the sand and stuff. It's just huge heavyweights that look like almost sort of like sumo wrestlers. They're just so big and they're just fighting in sand dunes and stuff. That looks that's what I think of whenever I hear of Fight Island. I think of stuff like that. <laughs> well, I do know that Bordog 
uh, they were an MMA promotion around sort of 2006, 2007, uh, because they were funded by a gambling website and there were issues surrounding betting in America at the time. They couldn't hold any events in the US. So instead, they were holding them in places like Costa Rica, and they had a very similar setup. Okay. okay. So they were pretty much doing Fight Island the whole career. <laughs> well, Chael Sonnen was talking franchise. about it on... Um, he did an interview with Ariel Helwani, and he was okay. saying that um, one of the issues he had with Fight Island... Love the idea of going to Costa Rica to do it, but the tarp that they used didn't absorb sweat. I mean, didn't absorb the heat. So if you were put oh. on your back, you were burning. Your feet were burning, your back was burning. So there was a lot of fighters who, basically, if you got the first takedown, you were going to win because your opponent was in so <laughs> much pain that they couldn't do anything off the back. Man, that sounds painful. They'd have to get, like, um, they'd have to set up, like, UV mirrors or something above the octagon <laughs> or something. We'll just see, like, a giant... A giant like mirror on top of the octagon or something to reflect the heat. <laughs> They're gonna have to set something like that up. But yeah, I get, I feel like Dana White would maybe take that into concern. <laughs> probably, will probably hear about that clip after, because that's that sounds pretty bad. <laughs> well, he's gotten this far, so mm -hmm. I wouldn't put it past it. I mean, the fact that he's yeah, actually that's flying definitely out something all, he could fix. <laughs> the fact he's flying out all this equipment to some sort of random tropical paradise just to get fights on. Yeah, that's definitely something you could fix if that's <laughs> if he's doing all this. <laughs> and the big irony is, you know, is that the sort of momentum I've been seeing with a lot of the uh, governors, a lot of the state authorities, etc., I think we could start seeing restrictions starting to be lifted in some places. Obviously, Florida... It's been one of the first instigators of this. It's part of the reason why the event's taking place in Jacksonville. We could have a situation where by the time Fight Island is operational, it's probably not going to be needed. Mm, it seems like maybe some uh, provinces and states, they're starting to realize they can hold some sporting events, but mostly behind closed doors. Like maybe they're seeing how WWE is doing it. <laughs> maybe they're taking notes from them, but definitely Florida is the first one to dip their toe into it. They're not really going head first and allowing like are they allowing pretty much every sporting event? I think I read that actually, as long as it's cl closed doors. I think it's I don't think it's team sports. Okay. I think if it's one-on-one -on -one stuff like fighting and boxing, etc., then... Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, that's what I read. It's like any combat sport you could really do as long as it's one-on-one. -on -one. That makes sense. Like, that's stuff I could see them doing if they get skeleton crews and stuff like that. Just pull it... Like, I could see it pretty much just being, like, Tuesday night contenders, really, if they just go around uh, the world with that in certain states that allow it. I have heard, I have heard a rumor Fight Island could be reality show. That's what Dan has been teasing. <laughs> yeah, maybe they could set up a maybe like UFC embedded Fight Island or something, and they <laughs> every single week or every single day, really, since everything changes, they should just change it into a web series, and it's just Dana trying to secure Fight Island and get it ready. That'd be a good idea. Put that on YouTube and Fight Pass. Maybe it's like Survivor. Go. Maybe it's not like the yeah. Ultimate Fighter meets Survivor. <laughs> So, like, two of the most votes fight each other and the loser gets eliminated. 
Yeah, that'd be nice. I could see them setting up uh, little tiki huts <laughs> for each fighter to vote each other off. You go into the tiki hut and just write a name and put it into the to the ballot slot. That'd be perfect. I am just going to quickly note this down and trademark it until before somebody else does. Yeah, trademark the domain. Just buy the domain real quick. UFC Survivor. <laughs> And speaking of um, left field concepts when it comes to the world of mixed martial arts, it brings us on to the PFL. Now the PFL was set to start its season on May the 23rd and they had themselves a very, very strong cast of fighters ready for this season. Names including Rory McDonald, Olivier Alvin Mercier, Tom Lawler. Basically any big name Canadian fighter was going to be fighting for the PFL this season. It was announced on Monday that by Ray Sefo, the guy who owns the PFL, their season would be cancelled. And then a third of its roster, this is the big controversy that came from this, a third of its roster were cut on Thursday, mainly the international fighters. So, yes, the PFL make themselves probably the sensible decision when it comes to cancelling its season and then immediately undoing all the goodwill with their decision mm. to ask their fighters. Yeah, now it's basically going to be the uh, Canadian and USA fighting league. <laughs> like basically, there's not really going to be any international fighters. Have they announced which fighters have been canned at all? It's never been formally announced, but the the rumors we've been hearing from a lot of the MMA journalists is it is the international fighters, simply because okay. travel restrictions are still going to be in place for a good few months now. So they don't entirely know when those international fighters will be cleared to compete. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, travel restrictions, that's not really something that you can change overnight with a simple, you know, mayor decision. Like, in Florida, you can't really do something like that with international, like, traveling and stuff like that. A lot of a lot of work goes into that. I'm not even going to try and act like I know what I'm talking about, but <laughs> it's definitely not something that can change overnight. So I, I, I sort of see where they're coming from, but it's still, still that's pretty rough, man. That's pretty rough. What's your opinion been on the way that the PFL have approached this? Because they've taken the the sensible solution in choosing to cancel its season. Ray has uh, Ray Seffo has said he would be willing to host uh, non-seasonal events later on in the year when things start clearing itself out. So we could see just sporadic shows around sort of October, November time. You think though the PFL is uh, by a long way, a much smaller promotion than the UFC. You would think mm -hmm. that they would be the company who would be most wanting to get events there to try and make their money back. Yet it's the PFL who are making the common sense money doesn't mean anything to us solution. And yet it's the UFC, the top dogs, who are desperate to get back to normality. Yeah, it's pretty uh, jarring to see uh, the differences between them. And it's quite strange, really. They had they employed that whole like a thousand dollar a month thing for fighters. Apparently, they're gonna give uh, each of their fighters. Well, I don't know if it's gonna be every fighter, but some fighters are gonna be getting a thousand dollars a month. And I was thinking, like the only real positive I was thinking out of that was if it was an international fighter and the currency was different and a thousand USD that could that could be a lot to somebody in a certain international country but if if all the international guys are can then really 
it's just I don't want to say it's sort of spit in the face you know it's better than nothing but a fighter can't live off of that you know I mean if you are sort of one of the the lesser profile fighters a thousand dollars a month you can sort of you can see the positives from that especially in the mm-hmm. current climate that yeah. we have but I mean that's that's lower than what say my next door neighbor next door neighbor earns that's le- that's less than what I earn a month and yet you're expecting someone like a Rory McDonald or a Kayla Harrison mm-hmm. etc some of the bigger names to try and make, try and get by on a thousand dollars a month it's it, it works for some fighters it's obviously a hindrance for others yeah it works for like um charles bennett like a crazy horse type of fighter but not not really somebody like a rory mcdonald like what is he gonna do with that <laughs> rory has he is really a lot of the decisions that rory's made later on in his career in hindsight haven't worked out mm-hmm. i don't think his bellator run was the best I think that his stock as a fighter is maybe a bit lower than what it was. I think he went to the PFL thinking, hey, I've got an opportunity to make myself a cool million before I, I eventually retire. And at least for this year, he's not going to be able to get that chance. Yeah, I definitely think he went into the uh, the PFL thinking, yeah, this is a quick paycheck. Uh, could probably run through his competition because, you know, they run on their, their points, really. But their points don't matter necessarily like I, i've seen fighters get like crazy knockout runs and then they just lose in a decision battle and that's it they're out <laughs> so it's quite strange their scoring system i haven't really seen an organization with a scoring system that forces knockouts like successfully i haven't really seen that properly other than like maybe like bare knuckle but they're not even trying they're just taking off the gloves <laughs> like uh, i'm just trying to think like, yeah i can't really think of anything maybe x-arm you know what x-arm is i actually covered x-arm in one of my videos yeah yeah like something like x-arm really but uh yeah in terms of roy mcdonald in the pfl i definitely think he went in there looking for a quick quick payday <laughs> i don't have an issue with the pfl's league format i think that one of the things an MMA promotion needs to do is it needs to have some sort of novelty to try and stand mm-hmm. out from the UFC. And obviously, we saw that over the years at like WEC, it was just exclusively lower weight classes. Strikeforce had the women's division. One championship to an extent works because it's an Asian promotion. It's primarily some of the top fighters from, say, Vietnam, Japan, Korea. That's where they go to fight rather than the UFC. So the PFL's oh, yeah. league format does make it stand out. Mm-hmm. I'm with you in that I don't think it's ideal, but I do like it as a gimmick. I think the big issue the PFL has always had is that I don't think the fights are all that interesting. And that's what made this season so disappointing because I think the fighters they signed were bigger personalities, they were more entertaining fighters. And I was intrigued to see this new batch trying to show the PFL in a bit more of a positive light than the sort of grapple-heavy approach it was in season two. Yeah, I feel like season two got a really bad rap. If season two in my book, it, it was really rough to watch. <laughs> Trying to watch some of those, it, it was kind of rough. But they're fighters. It's so strange. They got like Olympic fighters like Kayla Harrison, and you got Lance Palmer. But they just they don't really stick out. You know, it's hard to really get excited about them. 
Like it's hard to really get excited about someone like Kayla Harrison when she hasn't really been tested to a full extent. I think but... they were wanting they were wanting her versus Sarah Kaufman. I think the mm-hmm, plan was her yeah. versus Kaufman as the finale fight, and that would be sort of like the big statement when to say, "Hey, Kayla Harrison mm-hmm. is for real." Obviously, Larissa Pacheco wins that fight. All credit to her, but again, it was another one-sided dominant performance against somebody who proved earlier on in the career that maybe not UFC level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely saw them uh, setting that up in last season. There was a lot of hype around Sarah Kaufman and that, but it's just hard to get excited about Kayla Harrison. You know, she's got to be tested, but I can't really think of any female fighters they signed for the newest season that have me excited. Can you think of any? Like, I can't really think of I any. I can't think of any off the top of my head, I'm afraid. Yeah, like, <laughs> it's it's hard to really think about that. I, I don't think she should just ditch PFL, but I, I don't really think she's necessarily growing there either. One of the stories I've heard is there's a lot of people saying, why on earth are the USC still keeping around the women's featherweight division? One theory I've heard is they want Harrison to fight for that title at some point. Okay, I can see that. UFC featherweight division conspiracy theory. I could see that. No conspiracies when it comes to our next topic, though. We're going to be moving on to topic number three. And this concerns our good friend Luke Rockhold. Now, it's been a while since Luke Rockhold last fought in the UFC. UFC 239, he got knocked out quite severely by Jan Blachowicz. Uh, tell you what, Jan's knockout run on his way to potentially a title shot very underrated. I think a lot of people need to start appreciating mm-hmm. that. Before I go off on a tangent though, that was the last time the Rockhold fought and a lot of people thought that's going to be it. Luke has his modeling career now. He's been knocked out a couple of times. He's out of form. That's probably going to be it. However, he did an interview recently with MMA UK and he was talking about whether or not he actually had retired or not. And this is what he said. He said that, uh, I just wanted to keep my mouth shut. shut. Rockall told when he said why he didn't announce his retirement following USC 239. People just do it to seek attention. I'm not trying to make some big statement, make attention about it when I'm not sure about it. Here we are now, I'm getting healthier, I might be getting an itch to come back. <laughs> yeah, I believe uh, I saw like a BJ Penn article, just sort of just paraphrasing that same article, and I saw Jimmy Manua replied to that. And he, did a little emoji with the hand over his mouth. I think he's interested in that fight. I think that's that that would be that would be a good fight. Definitely a knockout if that that happened. Jimmy is a proper kill or be killed fighter, and you look at that with the. I mean, Manuel hardly ever went to a decision, win or lose, in his career, mm-hmm. and he's always got that one shot power. But he's another guy as well. He took some big knockouts later on in his career. So mm, that would be yeah. that would be a battle of the shot chins if that happened. In terms of Rockhold making his comeback, uh, one of the things he said as well in that interview that was that if he was to come back, it would most likely be a middleweight. He says he'd be open to the idea of either Anderson Silva or a Chris Weidman rematch. I I like the idea of Weidman versus Rockhold too. I think now is the perfect time for well <laughs> i don't want to say the perfect time but i i think it's still an ideal time for it to happen and sort of have a, a you know a little bit of weight to it you know both guys can get something out of it if the 
to the winner coming out on top. But yeah, in terms of Anderson Silva, it's been so freaking long since we heard about him, man. I seriously think he's secretly retired, like a sort of unannounced retirement. He's just, I feel like he's not really going to fight again. What do you think? I'd like to think Anderson's retired as well, especially the fact mm-hmm. that his last fight was Cannonier, got himself yeah. a leg injury, and obviously he had another one when he fought Weidman back at UFC 168. So I'm with you. I'd like to think that Anderson's called it a day. But mm-hmm. I think Anderson's one of those people who just wants to retire on a high. In an ideal world, I could see him sort of being uh, the core man for like a Brazil fight night, get himself an easy win and just ride off into the sunset, home crowd cheering. That would be ideal for me. What would have mm-hmm, like what, what maybe kind of think uh go ahead. What would have maybe been ideal in hindsight if you retired after the Adesanya fight? Cuz yes, he yeah, lost that, that, that fight. Yeah, that would have been a good send-off. His stock was his stock was still high after that fight I felt. Mhm. He wasn't really uh rocked severely in that fight. He put on a good show in that fight a very entertaining fight probably the Mm -hmm. most entertaining sparring match i've ever watched (laughs) yeah nothing serious you can definitely see there's a a lot of respect there from izzy he didn't really want to you know he didn't really want to knock out anderson silva cold but i definitely didn't want to lose either (laughs) it's sort of a mixture of both going back to luke rockhold though rockhold seems to have his heart set on returning to middleweight which I can completely understand. He had a lot of success there. But Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be too dismissive of the idea of light heavyweight. Yes, there's a lot of powerful hitters in that division. But you look at Luke on the scales for his later fight in middleweight. And he was draining himself quite badly to get down there. So I wouldn't be too uh, dismissive of it for that reason. Especially when you look at people like Anthony Smith. I mean, Smith physically isn't all that different to how he fought in middleweight. It's just the cut isn't as severe. Mm-hmm. So he's more hydrated and we're seeing better performances out of him. The mistake Rockhold made when he moved up to light heavyweight was he bulked up big time. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, yeah. the guy looked like 90s Mark Coleman. Just <laughs> clinched up against Blachowicz and just was gassed out after about three minutes. So I think if he... Yeah, it's a pretty strange game plan from Rockhold in that fight. So if he leaned up a bit, maybe went back to sort of his, his middleweight version, which was a little mm-hmm. bit little bit lighter, a little bit more agile, I think we could maybe see... I think we could maybe see a better Rockhold than the one we saw against Blachowicz. But he does need to work on his striking defense if that happens. Mm-hmm. It's sort of hard to think, like, can you employ that much head movement this lane to his career in MMA really it's not it's not sort of boxing you can't really learn something like that this late in your career but in terms of the weight cut he sort of needs to in my opinion he needs to find that middle ground he needs to he needs to cut a little bit so he doesn't look like that 90s Mark Coleman like he did in that last fight but not really completely drained like he did sort of in the the Romero fight like he did not look good when that fight first started like he didn't look didn't look in good condition in that fight but he he needs to find sort of the middle ground and yet his performance against Romero itself wasn't that bad I thought he won the first Mm -hmm. two rounds Mm -hmm. yeah that's Romero though (laughs) think you're winning the fight and then you get into the third round it's always the third round Wyman was the same Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's quite strange. I'm trying to think any other fighters who end in the third round all the time. It's not that Ortega. many. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ortega. Except for the Edgar fight. That was in uh, round one, round I believe. One. Is that like... Mm-hmm. Got sponsored yeah, in round, round two, one. but then I look at like his comeback against Moicano. Uh, mm-hmm. He submitted Clay Guida in the third round. Uh, I, he had his best round against uh, Max Holloway in the third round as well. He rocked Max a couple of times. Mm-hmm. That's a amazing fight. That's a fight you could show like a casual. Like I always hear the question, oh... Who should I show? Uh, what fight should I show somebody if they never watched MMA? That's that's a perfect fight to show somebody right there. I actually had some of my uh, friends over for UFC 231. Uh, one of them was badly hungover because we watch it on the <laughs> Sunday morning because we can't stay up till oh, like God. three o'clock at night. So he'd been drinking the night before. We brought him back in there, <laughs> and we look over. Like to our left hand side, and we just see him snoring his head off as the main event's <laughs> happening. Now, it reminds me of uh, <clears throat> when I went to uh, Fight Night 105. I was really hungover from the night before, but once I got into that arena and the first prelim started, and those huge speakers blaring the, the Fox intro music and everything, I was wide awake. It's amazing what sound can do to you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Fight Night 105, that was, um, that was Halifax, Brown versus, uh, yeah, Halifax. That was Brown versus Lewis. Great fight. Not for Travis. Yeah, not for Travis, unfortunately. First round, though, he was doing good. He was, uh, it was a classic Derek Lewis getting hurt early, and then he comes back fight. It was one of those. <laughs> Travis had a couple of those later on in his career. He, he would start fights really well. And then just get caught, and all of his confidence would go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was quite strange, really. Do you think Edmund had anything to do with it? I don't think he was training with Edmund at that point. Oh, really? Okay. No, I think I think he was he was associated with Edmund, but I think he was training elsewhere. Yeah, I don't think he started training with Edmund until he was like fully Dayton Ronda, I believe. His I, first I fight, I think, was the Mitrione fight. Okay. He switched, That's, uh, he switched training camps after he got dominated by Vadum, and then he won the mm-hmm. Mitrion fight, and then it was that insane match with Arlovsky. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm just looking through that, the uh, I'm just looking through the uh, fight card for the Halifax card. Second fight on the actual card: Thiago Santos and Jack Marshman. Oh yeah, that was a that was like a head kick knockout. That was a, I remember that fight. That was a great fight. And Santos is now one of the top names in light heavyweight. It just goes to show, mm-hmm. like, wasn't Anthony Smith on the fight pass prelims for his first light heavyweight match? Uh, I'd have to look that up. I think I, so. I and then surprised. 10 months later, he's headlining a fight card. Wow. That's pretty crazy. So just getting back on topic before we move on to our next subject. If you had the choice for Luke Rockhold... Middleweight or light heavyweight? What sort of opponent would you choose? What approach should he take if he does choose to come back? I'm gonna do a little bit of a mixture of both for his ideal matchup. I I like uh, the idea of um, properly cut Rockhold at a uh, light heavyweight against um, Chris Weidman. The rematch. I think that'll be a good rematch at light heavyweight. See, I don't think the Weidman at light heavyweight worked. 
Oh yeah. It looked tiny <laughs> against Dominic Reyes. Yeah, well, I'm just thinking, uh, just thinking Luke Rockhold. Really, <laughs> I'm not thinking of Dominic Reyes. Well, I'm, I'm thinking hearing, of I'm Luke Rockhold. Uh, Weidman is potentially scheduled to compete um, in a couple of weeks' time. They want, they're still wanting to try and do the fight with Jack Hermanson, but obviously the travel okay. restrictions are, are hindering Hermanson's chance of getting into the country. So I'm hearing rumours that potentially he could be fighting um, Edmund Shabazian. Okay, I remember hearing they were going to set him up with uh, Yoel Romero oh. second time. <laughs> Does the UFC hate Weidman or something? I yeah, like that matchup you're telling me. Like that, those sounded horrible. Those matchups you're telling me, like Edmund Shabazian and Yoel Romero and Hermanson. Even Hermanson couldn't could end badly for him. So <laughs> I fancy him. I, I, I fancy him having more of a chance against um, Hermanson simply because I don't mm -hmm. think Jack striking is the best. So I can't see. I can't see Weidman being as vulnerable as he would be to say Romero or a Shabazian. Mm -hmm. I definitely think in the, those three fights, that's the best ideal matchup for him. Or Luke Rockhold. <laughs> I have to say, I'm, I've got myself a drink. I prepped myself a drink before we started the show, and I'm always wary of drinking it because it's apple juice. Yet the color of apple juice, it just it looks like urine. I'm always wary of drinking it before that reason. Reminds me of that, uh, you seen Austin Powers? Yes, yes, I have. The, I know what scene you're talking about. The second one, that second, <laughs> okay, we don't need to talk about it then. <laughs> wasn't it's better if you see the scene. Wasn't there a story that Machida did something similar as like a, like an immune system thing? I always remember well, the story yeah, about I remember, Machida. Yeah, I think one of the Machidas fought, this was a, probably around like a year or two ago they fought on one of the Bellator cars I think one of the Machitas are in Bellator not not Leo this was before Leoto came in I think it was like one of his brothers or something and they did like a short little Twitter video you know most organizations do it during like a fight week they'll have like quick little videos that they'll just tweet up and they had they had the Machitas drinking pee on there <laughs> like right on Bellator's Twitter Speaking of Bellator, what's your opinion on Corker announcing they still intend to do um, complete their portfolio of fight events? Um, I feel like it's sort of a mixture between maybe contractual agreements with the zone and probably wanting to, you know, get back into the spotlight. Sort of a mixture of those. What do you think? I'm in a very similar board. I think that. The contractual issues, I think, are a big underlying factor, especially with the UFC trying to put together so many events. I mean, we could have three events in one week, and I think the TV contract is part of the reason for that, and I think it's going to be the same with Bellator, especially since they've got that deal with DAZN, who, from what I've heard, have been quite strict in terms of uh, boxing promotions adhering to their contracts. Okay. That makes sense. But I mean, Bellator, Bellator have done two events in two days, so it's not out of the realm of possibility for them to get this done. Yeah, if anybody can do like like two or three, maybe even four events a week, it's definitely Bellator. They could definitely do that. They do it all the time. And speaking of Bellator, we're talking about a future Bellator World War champion, a certain Mr. T. Woodley. 
Now, if there's one Ooh. guy who has been more bored over the past seven days, it certainly is Tyron Woodley. He has been going off on everybody this week. Now, I don't usually like the idea of talking about social media feuds because a lot mm. of the time it's fighters trying to attract attention to themselves, trying to build up hype for fights. But Tyron Woodley has been sparring with pretty much everybody when it comes to the world of Twitter. Uh, first off, suggesting Israel Adesanya was scared of power based on his fight with Yoel Romero, describing him as a great white hope, uh, calling Dan Hooker a prostitute, calling out the UFC for not showcasing his win over Robin Lawler on social media. Um, is this just a guy who's bored? Is Tyron Woodley trying to uh, hide potentially a future fight? Um, very defensive of his rap career. I think that's a source of a lot of <laughs> a lot of ridicule when it comes to, especially Dan Hooker. Dan Hooker has been far from sporting when it comes to Tyron Woodley's rap career. Yeah, I feel like the best fighter who's won out of all this uh, social media banter and all this stuff is, I want to say probably Darren Till. You see Darren Till's social media? That's hilarious, man. He's always talking about his schedule and how he's always egg planning and splashing every single every single day and everything. It's hilarious him and gilbert burns their social medias have been popping off same with Derek lewis but Derek lewis has always been on point yeah the thing with darren till though is that is quintessential british humor <laughs> we have that sort of cheeky jack the lad type sense of humor we like to take the mick out of ourselves we can be a bit crude we can be a bit vulgar but yeah I... and there was a time as well where people were really against Darren Till. I mean, especially mm -hmm. after the stuff in Magaluf where he, he smashed up the taxi. He has done very well to repair a lot of that stock. Mm -hmm. He's definitely uh, turned a new leaf, I believe. He was sort of dipping his toe into that sort of bad uh, that bad rep, you know, the taxi thing and all that. He had to spend, I think he spent a day in jail because of that or something like that. But he's definitely turned himself around. I think I saw... On Instagram, most celebrities they're um, they're like one-on-one -on -one insta living fans, and he insta-lived one fan. And he got this guy to shave his head for him. <laughs> he shouted him out. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, I'm close to getting to that stage as well. Cause obviously, oh, no yeah. hairdressers, my hair is absolutely massive right now. Oh yeah, I'm kind of glad the webcam's not on because I got a proper mullet going on. I got a proper rat tail going on in the back. I definitely might get the clippers. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to lie. I woke up uh, one day and my hair was sort of like a cross between Dominic Reyes and Hobo Connor. <laughs> well, nice. <laughs> like, can you remember like UFC 189 when Connor had like the proper shaggy look and... Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was rough. <laughs> yes. Um, going back to Tyron Woodley, though, um, what have you made of Tyron's behaviour? And because this isn't an isolated issue when it comes to Tyron, he is mm -hmm. very defensive when it comes to social media. He does play this this sort of besmirched figure. Everything is always a jab against him, and he takes a lot of things to heart and. And you think this is a guy as well who's like nearing the end of his career. He maybe knows he doesn't have more opportunities to try and get himself back into the title picture. Probably never will because I don't think him and Dana see eye to eye on a lot of things. 
And yet here he is getting into all these Twitter wars and lower, lowering his stock arguably even further. Yeah, it's, I remember when he was champion, there was a lot of... Uh, he would always talk about his race and stuff. You'd always say that he was not properly represented as a champion and everything. You know, he'd say he was similar to Chris Cyborg, but that's a whole another story that we've probably touched on before. But Woodley, when he's on these rants i feel like it's just a guy who feels like he's sort of being disrespected and forgotten a little bit he's sort of it's just like probably had it feels like he has that power to knock somebody out but he just he hasn't been able to put on a show really since that darren till fight the thing is tyman woodley is not a bad fighter i mean he's got mm-hmm. a good record of wins and i think he's he's reigned as champion he did look I wouldn't say he was a dominant champion by any means, but very intelligent. The way he he neutralized Wonderboy, the way he neutralized Damian Meyer, uh, ending the Darren Till hype hype train very early on. Um, Mm -hmm. So he is a very intelligent fighter. The problem is, and it's something that we'll sort of touch on when we come to the viewer questions, is he sacrificed entertainment. He sacrificed the show to try and keep his belt. And I think that's one thing that's always irked Dana is when fighters play it safe. Because Dana is, Dana is just bleeder at heart. Mm-hmm. If you look back, uh, there's a lot of clips of when he was champion and when he would win the belt and Dana's reaction. That's how you know how much Dana respects a fighter is their reaction when he's got to put on a, a belt for them in, in, in the decision. That's how you know if Dana likes a fighter. And there's, a, there's a lot of screenshots of when he had to put the belt on him for Damian Maya fight. You definitely see he was not pleased. So <laughs> the relationship there is probably not the best. I don't think it's nearly as bad as something like Chris Cyborg or something like that. I feel like there is definitely some respect there, but I don't think he's... Is golden boy like somebody like Conor McGregor or anything like that? Like, I don't see Dana White giving him a title shot or something during the pandemic or anything like that. But Woodley, I just feel like he needs that breakout performance. He just needs that that big knockout win. Imagine if he knocked out Edwards in like the first round. We'd be talking about him right now in a completely different light. And I think another you've touched on something there, which I've sort of come to mind as well is. I think part of the reason why there is maybe an issue between Dana and Tyron Woodley is that Woodley is very... He gets the impression of being quite picky when it comes to his opponents. It took them... Mm -hmm. It took, from what I've heard, it took the UFC a long time to convince him to take the fight with Leon Edwards. He didn't seem interested in going to London. He didn't seem interested in fighting a guy who was dangerous for him but didn't really have much upside either. Because the fights that Tyron was chasing was people like Colby Covington, who's a guy who's ranked just below him. And obviously, if you knock out Colby, who's one of the more disliked fighters on the roster, he's mm-hmm. going to gain a lot of popularity from that. He was offered the opportunity to fight Gilbert Burns um, just after UFC Brasilia. That seemed to pretty much die a death largely on his part. So I think maybe this sort of pickiness and not being the company man is maybe another factor why Dana has issues with him. Mm-hmm. Colby versus Woodley, that's got to be... Oh, I mean, it'd be a compelling the, fight, but it's, it's got to be the best that, rivalry fight that never happened, really. <laughs> ignoring Tony versus Khabib? 
Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, that that certain <laughs> fight which we sort of wanted for the past like four or five years. Yeah. <laughs> who would be your but, ideal opponent for Tyron Woodley? Who would you like to see him against? Um, I I like the idea of that Burns matchup at the time that it was presented. That would have been a great turnaround for Burns, but. Uh, the Edwards fight, I'm not totally opposed to that. I kind of like that. I kind of want Edwards to fight again. He's sort of being a little bit forgotten there. But I don't think it's the ideal matchup for Edwards. I could see that ending badly for him. But either Edwards or Covington, really. Actually, when I called that fight, you know, I personally had Leon Edwards winning that. Because I thought we got, oh, a, thir- really? we got a 38-year-old Tyron against a guy who knows how mm-hmm. to use the clinch knows how to neutralize that power because that's that's where Leon Edwards' strength is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. The subject of entertainment uh, brings us on to our viewer questions and I want to say a big thank you to people who have been posting in. Actually, when I say the people who have been posting in, um, I refer to one person. Uh, Donald Newhouse, thank you very much for doing this again. We're happy to get your question in. He says, do you think fighters have any obligation to be entertaining or should they focus solely on winning? It's a good question. It's a good question. I'm in the middle ground, to be honest. I think that the fighter's main motive should be on trying to pursue victory at all costs. This is a results business. And if you're not getting the results, no matter how entertaining you are, you do run the risk of being cut from the promotion. So I do think the fighters should emphasize trying to win. However, the opportunities that come with being an entertaining fighter are much more plentiful than they are for sort of your dull, generic run-of-the-mill guy. If you look at Mm -hmm. people like Michelle Pereira, I don't think Pereira is UFC level, to be honest. But because he has the flashy style, because he has that sort of over-the-top, like, sort of meme-worthy behaviour, he gets more opportunities than he should. The guy had one of the most embarrassing losses of 2019 and was rewarded with a UFC co-main against a hometown fighter in Diego Sanchez. Yeah, Piera, I think that's a fighter that's perfect for, like, one championship. I feel like that would be a perfect fighter for them. I could see Michael Chavello like screaming, commentating that. That would be a great fight for him to commentate. But uh, yeah, in terms of the question, I, I'm sort of in the middle ground as well. I, I think it depends on the opportunity in the fight that's presented to the fighter. If it's in a certain point in their career where if they win this fight with a huge knockout, they should definitely go for it. But in terms of going for it 24-7, some guys just can't be finished. You know, Brendan Schaub, much as I hate him, he said this in a podcast, some guys just can't be finished. Even if you throw everything in the kitchen sink at them, they just can't be knocked out that day. They had a perfect weight cut. Their chin's in perfect condition. So really, if you go for like a constantly looking for the finished style, you could pretty much compromise yourself and gas out. So... I know it's a tough question, but really it depends on the opportunity and the point in their career. I think the entertainment side of things, especially from a business perspective, become more important the higher up the rankings you get. Because mm, yeah. we can't overlook the fact the UFC is as much a business as it is 
a fight promotion. In an ideal mm-hmm. world, the best thing for the UFC would be if you had a champion, if you had a champion's roster of the Connors, the Rondas, the Chucks, the GSPs, the Brocks. If every champion was that sort of like big media star, you're going to get casual viewers who are going to be coming in, intrigued to watch their fights, and then a percentage of those will stick around and become those sort of hardcores who will be watching the Contender series and then watching old uh, WEC events on Fight Pass. So you do need those kind of fighters, obviously from a business perspective. Like the, what, the example that always comes to mind for me is Mighty Mouse. Like Demetrius mm-hmm. Johnson is probably one of the best fighters to ever compete in the UFC. But he wasn't a guy who embraced the sort of media side of the sport. He just focused on his own game and obviously it gave him so much success. But we had a situation where one of the best UFC fighters of all time was defending his belt on Fight Pass and on free TV because casual fan interest wasn't there to see him fight, no matter how good he was. Mm-hmm. And I definitely think Dana's trying to go with that approach with the the new certain matchmaking. I feel like when he's setting up like Romero versus Izzy 2, yeah. or not Izzy 2, but Izzy 1, he was probably thinking like Romero wins this by knockout, like he'll be that, that big that big scary guy that everybody will tune in to watch sort of that sort of that Nganu type of fighter if he gets that knockout so I feel like Dana is trying to go with that approach he's trying to build each fighter in each roster to be that type of Ronda or GSP or Brock type of fighter because that's a that's actually a really good comparison because the alternative would have been Jared Cannonier. if it went mm-hmm. based on meritocracy yeah. Cannonier deserved that title shot because he had the best run at the time but you had the choice between your big, scary, uber-muscular behemoth or just your fairly decent guy who's comparatively unknown but has got a good run of form. And he went with the casual, friendly choice on paper and arguably it backfired. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was definitely looking for the, the big payday pay-per-view in that one. Well, we're even seeing that to an extent with Cejudo and Dominic Cruz. Mm-hmm. You, had, you had the choice yeah. between... Well, we'll have to rule out Petty Yarn because obviously he's going to be in Russia, so there would have been travel restrictions there. Yeah. But I would yeah. certainly favoured Aljo or Corey Sandhagen over Dominic Cruz. I think they've gone with Cruz for that uh, core main simply because of the star power. Mm-hmm. Even if this fight happens, like if this card happens on May 9th and everybody walks out to... Jacksonville and Cruz is there. I'll give Cruz credit because <laughs> I'll be very surprised if Cruz makes it to this fight. To put this into perspective, I think we mentioned this before. If you want to put it into perspective how long Dominic Cruz has been out, Ronda fought more recently than Dominic Cruz. Wow. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. Maybe by like 20 or 30 minutes. <laughs> Could you imagine if Dominic pulls that off, though? Yeah, that would be insane. That would be incredible. That would be better than when he came back against Dillashaw. Mm-hmm. And the, the strange thing is, you know, I think a healthy Dominic Cruz in his prime would be a stylistic nightmare for Cejudo. It's just whether or not he's got the body to still do it now. Mm-hmm. It's whether he, you know, his legs will hold up. He's got to have that good footwork. He's got to have that that stylistic footwork like he did in the the TJ fight. If he 
looks pretty much the same fighter like he did, and he doesn't really. I don't want to say he looked bad in the in the Cody Garbrandt fight. I just feel like he just ran into the completely dominant and focused Cody Garbrandt that night. So yeah, we'll just have to see what type of crew shows up. And a Cody Garbrandt who. He prepared for that fight. Alpha Male had so much knowledge on the way that Dominic Cruz mm-hmm. fought, and Cody stuck to that game plan. And I don't think I don't think Cody has fought like that since. So I think mm-hmm. maybe it's more of a strategic thing as to why he won that fight, rather than necessarily Cruz fighting badly. Mm-hmm. I feel like he just had all the the blueprints, and he had all the weaknesses of Dominic Cruz that night. He had, he just had everything noted and everything put in his mind and his iq that night he just had a complete game plan just a complete package to beat dominic cruz that night we'll try and fill this out by talking with uh, some of our own questions a few light-hearted touches before we end the show um now i've been doing a little bit of reading up and i found that it is the anniversary of rich franklin's ufc debut so my really? personal closer to you you can share one with yourself my personal question to you is, what are your favorite Rich Franklin moments? Uh, trying to think. Let me pull up his fight record, then I'll be a refresher. Rich Franklin. I think for me, Franklin is one of the stranger fighters, you know, because we've got a guy who is mm-hmm. a UFC Hall of Famer. He fought some of the best fighters in the world and beat them. Yet, nobody ever really immediately thinks of Rich Franklin as this sort of like all-time legend in the way they do with someone like a like a Chuck Liddell or a, or a Mirko Krokop. Mm-hmm. But I mean, some of the people yeah. he beat were absolute legends. And the thing that stands out for me, I'll let you have some time to think of yourself, but the thing that stands out for me in terms of Rich Franklin, the middleweight division was very, very weak early on in his UFC tenure. Mm-hmm. You had people like Dave Minet, Murillo Bustamante, Evan Tanner, not necessarily bad fighters, but none of them had that sort of something about them. Franklin was the first middleweight champion that people really respected, and he, he added mm-hmm. a lot of legitimacy to that belt. So I think that's the key thing that sticks out for me when it comes to Franklin. Mm-hmm. He was definitely a good model champion for early UFC. He was that, you know, that chiseled American guy, I believe. Wasn't he a teacher? Or School teacher. Something? Yeah, he was a teacher, you know, respectable guy. He had great hands, great knockout power. He was sort of that chiseled, nice model champion that the UFC wanted early then. The Nick one of those early examples. is one of my all-time yeah. favorites. Yeah, I was literally going to bring that up. That's uh, That's a... <laughs> biggest memory that comes to my mind that and the the chuck fight but that's that's for a different reason mm. <laughs> but the quarry fight that's that's a proper knockout they definitely tried and you were saying that the division was weak they were definitely trying to inject some blood into that but they they injected some blood way too quick in the division with that um that what was that nick quarry wasn't he on the ultimate fighter yes yeah, season one of the ultimate fighter i think yes, he season beat, one. i think he beat shawnee carter and pete sell and that got mm-hmm. him the title shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's when they were given title shots right off of the winners. <laughs> Not a good idea. <laughs> what about you? What's your sort of viewer question? And I want to stress as well, these are all completely unprepared from our perspective. Claire didn't know what I was going to ask. I don't know what Claire's going to be asking me. 
Yeah, really. Um, <laughs> I didn't even have a question, really. I didn't even know that you were going to ask. But I, I guess I could ask you sort of about uh, one championship. Do you think um, – what do you think their future is going to be like after all this? I think – I'd like to think that one are going to be okay. I think they're going to be secure financially. I know there's a lot of murmurings about how big the promotion actually is. I know that Chattery likes to uh, over-exaggerate how many people are actually tuning in. But from all accounts, I think things are going to be quite healthy. Um, obviously, being in Asia, I think that they're going to come out of the pandemic a lot earlier. So I think we could be seeing one mm -hmm. events starting up, maybe not as early as May the 9th, but I could certainly see around sort of June time them starting to hold some behind closed doors events and possibly around sort of August and early September. I think one will be back in full force. I don't know the level of one though, in terms of like how good one actually is, because I think they've got good fighters. They, some of the fighters there could put on some very entertaining matchups, like Martin Yuyen, Argonne Sang, very entertaining. Whether I could see those guys being UFC staples, being like the top tens and the top fives of the middleweight, featherweight divisions. I'm not entirely sure, but I do like one championship for what it is. Yeah, it's quite strange because uh, I believe uh, Shinya Aoki posted a, well, I don't know if he had an interview with a certain Japanese promotion or something, but he said that there was a certain, tr this was completely before the pandemic, like before there was any news about the coronavirus or anything, and he said that one is in could be in trouble in the future because they don't really have any defining young stars like they don't really have like those huge stars that could really um, appease the market that they're looking for but it's quite strange because they're they're signing incredible people like uh they the matches that they do where they um have a uh, kickboxing or muay thai but they do it with mma gloves that's super smart that's that's incredibly smart because you get um Muay Thai fights just completely standing up and kickboxing fights just completely standing up but without those huge 10 ounce gloves or anything like that just proper MMA gloves like that's it's extremely smart and you get some incredible fights with those but um, yeah they don't really have those um, those huge young stars like they got guys like Christian Lee but they Angela Lee. they don't really yeah, Angela Lee, Christian Lee, they got the Lee family there, but they don't really pop off the paper. Like, they got, um, who's that one guy, Ong Long Song or whatever, the guy that knocked out Brendan Barron in his last fight? That guy's technically a three-division champion. I believe he's, like, the middleweight and light heavyweight division champion, and Vera came down to the light heavyweight division to fight him. So, technically, beat Vera for his title. So, that guy's technically a three-division champion. So, can't even think of that in recent times and that's happened in an MMA organization but it's so strange because they're just incredible some of these fighters but they just don't really appease all these people and we can't really get a proper grasp on how many audiences and viewers these guys are pulling in because you know they always like the I don't want to say they lie but they just over exaggerate the viewers like I remember one time one of the um not one of the main like championship cards but it was one of rich franklin's fight night cards they accidentally revealed how many people watched it and there was only like a thousand views after the event ended so like it's not 
they don't really have that many viewers when it comes to those events. But yeah, it's quite a strange promotion. It's hard to really talk about it. <laughs> There's not really concrete business info on it. I do enjoy watching one though. Honestly, there's nothing mm. better than just finishing work, heading to the gym, and then finding there's a, a one card, which you just fire up on your phone, and you just watch that while you're doing 60 minutes on the cross trainer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the accessibility is amazing. They probably have the most accessibility out of all these MMA promotions, because they're right on YouTube. Like, really, I've watched everything on YouTube. <laughs> What would you say is your best one championship fight? Maybe I might turn this into a YouTube video later on. Oh man, there was just one, it's hard to really talk about these fights because a lot of these fighters' names I can't really pronounce right. I <laughs> think off of the top of my head because there's so many like Lees and all this stuff and long songs and all this stuff, but I forget who it was, but they're, they're bantamweight champion. I gotta, I gotta look it up, I guarantee if I, let me look it up. One championship rankings. Let's look at their rankings real quick. It was their oh, bantamweight it was, champion. Uh, Kevin Bellignon? Yeah, it was his bantamweight debut. Not his debut, but it was one of his def- defenses, one of his recent ones. And it, it was incredible because I stayed up. These cards, they're normally extremely late for me. It was uh, <laughs> like Bibiano, no- wasn't it? Bibiano versus uh, Bellignon. Yeah, that's it. That's Hell it. That's an amazing fight. I remember I stayed up till like eight a.m. They normally don't start until like five a.m. for me. <laughs> like they're really rough. They're probably perfect for you, but they're they're horrible for me. So a lot of the times I miss these and I have to watch them after. I gotta get them on VOD and stuff. I think if I had yeah, to, that's... if I had to choose two to recommend, I would probably say. Um, Ong Lang Sang and Ken Hasegawa at their first fight, which is a barn burner. Proper, if you liked Colby versus Usman, it's pretty much a middleweight version of that. And the other one okay. that comes to mind is, well, it's two from Angela Lee. Uh, her first fight with uh, Zhang Jingyang and the first fight with Mei Yamaguchi. Wow, okay. I'll have to look them up. Yeah, I always... I always enjoy one, but it's just impossible to catch. <laughs> I always, I always seem to miss it. So yeah, I'll try my best to look these up. We're not going to be missing UFC 249 though. As things stand no. right now, that card will be taking place. I'm about 90% confident that UFC will be going ahead with this one. I think they've got the sort of seal mm. of approval from Florida to go ahead with it. It is going to be empty arena, but I do think the DNS seems very adamant this is going to be the one. Mm-hmm. I feel like they probably went through the checklist of everything that ran through them last time. Uh, I don't think the mayor would sort of object to this because I'm pretty sure he's the one that opened up uh, combat sports in Florida. So I don't think an angry letter to Disney or something like that is going to end up happening because uh, I believe that that letter to Disney and ESPN didn't go through that... Um, that Gaethje versus Tony card probably would have happened. I, I could have seen that happening if that didn't go through. So, yeah, I, I'm with you. 90% sure. And if this is the case, then our normal podcast will be taking a step to the side and we will be focusing on the UFC 249 card. We'll be looking at the prelims in a bit more detail, discussing all five of the main card fights, including those two title matches. 
Justin Gagey taking on Tony Ferguson interim lightweight title as well as Dominic Cruz making his return against bantamweight champion Henry Cejudo. So that's all to look forward to next week. We hope to have ourselves a special guest who will be joining us for this. Um, until then though, I want to say a big thank you to everybody who has been supporting the channel. Um, if you have missed the show or you want to listen to it again, then please download INC Radio onto your podcast from all your providers, uh, soundcloud.com forward slash it's not cage fighting. Until then though, a big thank you for joining us. My name's been Carl Bainbridge. That's been Clay Richardson somewhere on the internet. <laughs> yeah, it's a pleasure being here as always. A big thank you to all the support for INC Radio for our podcast. Uh, we hope that you can continue to like, subscribe, give us any sort of support you can. And we'll be seeing you next week when we discuss, hopefully, UFC 249. Bye-bye for now.